That one's a slow sinker. <laughs> so I think I'll take this one. Must be you folks need it more than they do. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> Two pulpits. Preached in an Episcopal church. And uh, first time I'd ever preached in one. In fact, it was on Mackinac Island. It's one of the old historic churches there and uh, I wasn't sure which side to preach on. I had two different ones and I tried one and it roped me in. And I, you know, every once in a while I like to walk or something. And so I tried the other one. I felt like Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> don't like this one, don't like that one. So I just got a music stand and stood in the middle and uh, enjoyed preaching there. I really did. And there were two men that came forward to trust Christ at that first meeting. I remember that. And they were men that were chefs in uh, one of the restaurants on the island and stuff. And I got to know them and listened to their story and their journey and where they'd been. And uh, they'd never heard the gospel before. Isn't that... How do you know you can live in America and still never hear the gospel? It's possible. So anyway, I, I do recall that. Well, I better open these up. I used to take my glasses off to see, and now they've... This eye's had three surgeries in the last little less than two years. I had a torn retina, they fixed that, then I had a macular pucker. Any of you ever heard of that? I never had either. As you get older, your victuous begins to release from your macula. It's a natural aging process, and it just does it, and your eye will change shape and those kind of things. Mine had one section on it that didn't release, and it held on, so it's like you're grabbing hold of your pants and the wrinkles you make. Well, my eye, all the vision was distorted. I mean, I had waves and stuff, and it was just really messing me up. And so the uh, eye specialist in Grand Rapids, uh, really a great guy, knew what he's doing and stuff, he fixed that but I still have the distortion. He said it will accelerate your cataracts, your cataract in that eye, and it really accelerated it. I mean, he said, whoa, uh, we're going to have to fix that. So they fixed that. If that's all you have, that's pretty much a minor deal now. They can fix cataracts pretty easy. But on top of the other two surgeries, uh, anyway, I just got my glasses last week, and my wife wasn't with me when I picked them out. I didn't pick them out. Some gal was telling me, you look nice in those. And I, <laughs> any man here know what it means to hate shopping? Just give me something and let me get out of here. And so my wife says, those look nice. How <laughs> <laughs> you can read into that, okay? I don't know. I could care less. Uh, glasses ain't going to help or hurt this thing. You know what I mean by that? So, so anyway, I've having a hard time getting used to them, and I still don't have my vision. They say, give yourself 30 to 60 days for your brain is supposed to... How many of you are... You're, this control center, your computer up here, really is an amazing thing. Did you know that? The things it will do. And it's supposed to help my uh, eyes adjust to where I can see with them on or with them off. They put a lens in this one for up-close reading. That's what they're doing now. And you got one eye that can see far away and one that can see up close. Aren't you glad you came this morning for this stuff? Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm still uh, stumbling around trying to find my vision where it's supposed to be. So I'm looking like this to see that uh, we'll give her our best shot. By the way, how of you would be willing to admit you have taken your sight for granted most of your life? Anybody want to say amen to that? It is a wonderful thing to be able to see. It just is. And, uh, and I'm learning in everything give thanks. 
In everything, give thanks. Oh, boy, I don't know if I'll ever get, is Susan in here this morning? Okay, she's not. She's uh, my dear friend and wound care specialist. Uh, a year ago, last January 26th, I had been studying and preparing. I can only study for two, three hours at a time, and I've got to get out of the study, okay? Maybe it's just being in the presence of the Lord is so overwhelming to me at times that I need to get away and do something, a no-brainer. And I love to cut wood. I, I have... I hope I live long enough to burn all the wood I've got stored up, okay? It's just, I have an obsession, but it's a weakness for me. I just love to uh, fire up a chainsaw and go out and cut wood. And that was one of them kind of deals where I had to do that. I'm going to give you the abbreviated version of this. I went out to cut wood. My wife was with me because she doesn't like to cut wood, but she likes to be with me, okay? And our son says, you shouldn't be cutting wood alone, Dad. I've cut so much wood alone, and I'm always careful. I'm really careful if I'm alone. You just kind of raise the bar and that kind of stuff. But I said to Joyce, I said, honey, I've got to go and cut a little truck. We have a short box pickup, so it's not like you're cutting a lot of wood. It's, you know, cord, cord and a half. And I knew where place I was going to cut. And I said, you want to go with me? And she said, yeah, I'll go with you. So I went over and uh, pulled back in the woods, and she spotted a big dead standing oak about, this big, about that big around. No limbs, no bark. It's just the kind that if you know wood, that's the kind you want to cut, okay? Split easy, straight grain, and all that kind of stuff. So I said, you dropped me off here. I said, you just pull down in the woods and turn around. By that time, I have this tree down. Now, if you cut in a woods, there's an added level of danger, okay? It's not like cutting one out in a field, you got to play. It's hitting other, I've had widow makers come down and by God's grace not take me out, okay? So uh, I went and notched that baby and I violated three things. Uh, number one, I always have an exit plan, but I was in a hurry. How many of you know hurry has caused more trouble in our lives than anything else? When you get in a hurry, you drop, you just your brain doesn't function as well. So. I went over to the tree, and uh, I was in a hurry, first mistake. Number two, uh, I didn't make an exit plan. I would always, have, if I have some brushes in the way, I'll cut it out of the way, so when that baby starts to go, I'm getting out of here. Anybody that's cut wood knows what I'm talking about. And uh, so I, I, didn't, I didn't take the time, and I notched that baby, and uh, when I, another thing that I always do, I mean in the high 90s a percent of the time, I'll always pray just before, I lay, before she starts to go, I'll, before I put the final cut on the thing to drop it. I'll always pray and say, God, please keep me safe during this time. Th that's just wisdom in doing this. And I, that's more my custom, but I was in a hurry, and I didn't intend not to pray. I didn't say, God, you're going to take the morning off. I'll take this one. But I didn't, I'm not like, that's stupid. Would you agree with that? But that's what you say to God when you do this. When you don't pray, you're saying to God, I can do this one without you. That's it. Prayerlessness is a boast against God. It's stupid, but... Every once in a while, I'm stupid, okay? And uh, no exit plan, and I forgot to pray, and I put the, because I'm, I want to get this thing on the ground before Joyce turns around, okay? Because I don't want this thing, I have notched enough trees to go this way, and they've went that way, okay? And they don't always do what you think they're going to do. And sure enough, I put the old saw to her, and that thing started to go down, and rather than taking off running some I just took a couple steps back. Well, it hit another tree and went way up in the air, just missed my head as it came down, skinned my knee, and just smashed my foot. Just smashed it. And it went down, and Joyce saw me, and she jumped up. Or she stopped trucking and jumped out. She says, Tommy, you all right? And I says, I'm hurt bad. I said, I think I smashed my foot. 
I said, we gotta get out of here because I know that you have a brief window before the pain of that reaches here. How do you know what I meant? <laughs> you, you have a brief window before this thing is gonna start cranking. And I know, I just felt like a, my, my foot, when I take my boot off, it's gonna be a sack of bones. That's what I felt. This tree just went, just went wham, down on that thing. So I says, get me out of here. I said, help me out of here. So I got a little five foot three wife. I throw my arm around her shoulder. She reached down and grabbed, I got a 460 chainsaw. This thing is like a Harley Davidson, okay? This is a big chainsaw. She grabbed that thing up. She, I got my arm around her. She grabbed a hold of my belt, gave me a wedgie all the way to the truck. Just, Wah! This little guy, Wah! like this. Picked me up, threw me. She put the saw like this. She lifted this heavy, so she couldn't do this today. How do you know adrenaline is another wonderful chemical? Would you agree with that? She set that thing in the back, throws me in the back, there, gets me off. Because we're only two miles from the house. We get out, and I get to the house, and I know my, my boot is filling up with blood. We take it off, and all the skin from the top of my ankle down to the pad of my foot has been torn and shoved up over my toes. And I mean, you can see, it's just like you're gutting a deer. I mean, you see every tendon, all that kind of stuff. She said, oh, Tom, that's bad. And I said, I agree, amen, I agree, okay. <laughs> and I said, call one of the boys. And Ben was the closest, and our son, oldest son, he said, I'll come take you to the hospital. And I said, get me a, this is the second thing I said, I said, get me a cold towel. I don't feel like I'm going into shock, but I've seen people help me direct traffic at accident scenes that you think are okay. And a minute or two later, <laughs> okay, so I, I'm thinking, don't be a fool. So get me a cold towel, put it on my neck. And I said, come here and hold my hand. I said, we're going to do what I preach. I said, the Bible says, in everything, give thanks for this. Will. It doesn't say for everything. Would you agree with that? People get cancer. You don't thank God for cancer. But if you get cancer, being a citizen of earth, it's part and parcel of the journey. It can happen. You're in it. And I can tell you, when you in everything give thanks, you're acknowledging that you're going to trust God regardless of what, how this thing's going to turn out. That's what your faith is. That's an expression of your faith. It's the will of God. It's one of the five known wills of God. So we did that. And... Uh, and by the way, I, when all that skin was just tore down through there, I said to Joyce, I said, take that skin because it's not going to hurt like it's going to hurt in a little while. I said, and pull it back up. She said, okay, and she did all that for me. I, I mean, my wife is what a trooper. <laughs> she really is something. And we got to the hospital, and uh, they x-rayed it. I didn't have any broken bones, but the trauma was it tore every ligament, everything that connects your joints and stuff together. And... Uh, Guy sewed it up. I said, how many stitches you put? He said, I don't have any idea. There were 39 staples around it, but I don't know how many stitches because they had to sew it all back together. Well, the thing, within a few weeks, uh, because it had lost blood flow to a lot of different sections, and it was a tear. It's not like a cut. It's just tear, a toral piece. It lost blood flow on both sides of it. That hunk of skin about like that died, or meat, whatever you want to call it. it smelled like roadkill, okay? I mean, this is, this is rotten. And Susan had given me a card of hers and some medicine, a whole bag of stuff. She said, I got all these grandchildren. She says, this is good stuff. It's called burning wound ointment. So the Amish make it. She said, it is excellent. And I put it, I gave it to Joyce. She put it up in our pantry. We forgot about it for years. We're praying about what to do about this now because we're about four or five weeks into this thing and it's going south fast. It's the kind of stuff you lose your foot over if you're not careful. So... We were praying, and God brought her, Susan, to mind. And I said, get that stuff down. She got it down. We found her little card she put in it. We gave her a call. She said, I'll come to your house. 
she performed a surgery on that in our living room and cut away a piece of dead meat like this and showed Joyce how to do this and how to treat it with this ointment. And she laid her hands on it and prayed over it. And she said, within a few days, she said, you're going to start to see new flesh come in called cobblestone flesh. It'll start to fill this. The next day, 12 hours from the time she put it on till the next day, and my foot, this gaping hole that I could look in and see the foot plate in my foot, the kind that you get septic on real easy. She said, I was concerned about this. This could go south. I called her the next day, and we took a picture of it and sent it to her. And she said, that's medicine I put in there, supposed to work, but it don't work like that. That's a miracle, okay? And it started to close and heal, and I was on a walker for 10 weeks. How many of you be willing to admit you've taken your mobility for granted most of your life? Any of you want, and once you're on one of these things, all of a sudden you appreciate when you can get out of bed and walk to the bathroom. I had to use one of them stinking urinals, handheld. How do you know for a man that can walk the world is his urinals? You know what I mean by that? I mean, hey! This is probably a little bit rough for a mixed group, so we'll, we'll move on. Men's retreats love that line, but better back off. Well, I can tell you this, I'm thankful for little things that I used to take for granted. And the more thankful, how many of you know Americans are not as thankful as they should be for the blessings we have? And I'm learning that. It's just part of the journey, and I'm, God, you're just so good. Well, anyway, let me see. Uh, I've told you about my eyes, I've told you about my foot. Let me see, is there anything else? Get that out of the way before we can get going on the Bible lesson, okay? Um... I wrote down the notes, always when I write notes, I write them on scrap papers, okay? And, because uh, I don't ever preach off the same notes, maybe the same sermon, but the same sermon is never the same sermon if you rewrite it each time that you do it, okay? I preach 300 times a year plus, and you just can't have a brand new sermon every time. Too much time to study to do that, so you preach it, but they're never the same. And uh, I always write the date. This is Monday morning, August, first. How many of you know it was January 1st yesterday? Did any of you know what I just said? If, if you understand what I'm, there's no way we should, I should be this old. I'm thinking about life and its brevity. It's one of the things, it's one of those constants that I visit and realize I don't have enough time to waste one life and hope I have another life to, I haven't got time for that. I got to do this one right. And it, it adds an urgency and a seriousness and priorities seem to take place when I realize how quickly my life is going by. It's just a breath. It's a vapor. It's an exhale. We don't even get credit for the inhale. If you live to be 80 and at 40 years old, you're entering the second half. And if you're honest, the first half went by in a blur. If you're honest. I don't care if you're an atheist. You have to take a look at life and say, this thing goes by in a blur. That's my first 40 years. That's my second 40 years. How many of you know your last breath on planet Earth will be an exhale? Not me. <gasps> well, I'll guarantee you when that baby goes down, it'll be a, ah, it's over. And so it, it adds a seriousness of sobriety to be sober about your life. And so I think about that from time to time. Um, <laughs> 2016. Y2K was yesterday. Is that a marker in our journey? <laughs> She's going to blow, you know. How many of you know God really is in control of this thing? Would you agree with that? But 2016, man. 2016, we only had five grandchildren. Now we have 22. 
How did that happen? <laughs> Ellen, as Ellen prayed for us, you could be one of our daughters, you know that, don't you? <laughs> we have a daughter named Ellen, and you and her would get along well. You're just your natures and stuff. I love seeing your children. God bless you and Kevin. Well, our morning sessions are going to deal with essentials because it is a big part of our life, my life, Joyce and I's life. The essentials mean the things you have to have to make it. What do you have to have to make it in this Christian journey? Uh, Christ, number one. Would you say amen to that? <laughs> got to have Christ if you're going to make it. You have to really know the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. But the essentials, the basics, it's the basic things you need to know to do anything. What are the basics? Vince Lombardi, any of you ever heard of him? Okay, great football coach, Green Bay Packers. Every spring training camp, he would take his professional football players, and the first thing he would say to them before they even put on sweats and stuff and get ready to go into their workouts and run through the plays and stuff, he would take a football. Every year, he would do this. These are pros. And he'd say, he'd hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. How <laughs> you know that's pretty basic? Would you agree with that? You don't need to be reminded of that. Yes, we do need to be reminded of that. Now, would you agree that that's what distinguishes it from baseball? Now, would you agree with that? Or basketball? This is a football. And so he would just show them a football. And it was to get them to remember, I'm not going to come out there and teach you all the razzle-dazzle moves to win football games. I'm going to teach you that this is the ball, this is the field, that is the goal. How many of you are following this? It's just the simple things. And so many times, we forget the simple things, and we want to go on to the loftier things, and it's the basics that make it through. It's not, the, it's not this high, lofty concepts of God. and all. It's not, that's not what it is. It's the basics of things. Well, in 2007, I wrote my first book, and I did it for this reason. I didn't want to do it. Uh, this, this was probably the most stressful thing I've done in my Christian journey so far, is write these books. And they're really simple, but they're hard for me. Um, to communicate something that's understandable on paper is much different when I'm preaching away, I can have two or three stories going at once. You, can do, you can't do that when you write. You have to know where you want to go, where you're at, and how to get there in writing. It's much more disciplined. A good writer, a good teacher, I'm not a good teacher. I'm going to do Bible teaching this morning. If you learn something in these morning sessions, it'll be more by accident than by design. <laughs> okay, because I'm going to take off preaching. I'm not a teacher. And I love to sit under good gifted teaching. I do. Teachers, Jesus did both preaching and teaching, and it's not stuttering. There is a difference. Some people say there's no difference. Preaching is more of a proclamation with emphasis. Teaching is more of an explanation. This is what's going to happen, these kinds of things. And Jesus did both, and we need to do, but there should be some learning process, learning things going on in preaching, but it's more like a thus saith the Lord. Understand it or not, take it or leave it, that kind of stuff. This is what God has said, it's proclaiming his word. But the teaching is taking the words said, explaining what they mean, and all of a sudden our minds and hearts and souls begin to embrace those truths. Well, we're going to try to do a little bit of both on the essentials, on the basics. And I sat down, I told Joyce what I want to do, because sermons are forgotten. Good night. How many of you have heard at least a thousand sermons in your life? Would you agree with that? How many of you, there's very few of them we remember. 
We just forget them, and we don't intend to. It's part of the fall, our curse, the curse is on us. We remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. Somebody do me wrong, I have a unique ability to remember it. Would you agree with that? I, you know, that's the stuff we're supposed to forget, forgetting those things and reaching forth into the, that kind of stuff. So I, uh, I said to Joyce, I said, I want to leave a written a, a record to our because our kids are having kids. I mean, they never thought they'd have that many children. We never thought they'd have, we'd have 22 grandchildren. We just didn't think that. And, uh, and we're thankful. Glory to God. What a treasure. Your children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Your children are a blessing. And uh, I said, I want to leave some kind of a legacy of my faith, my journey. Because God has been so good to me. I want to leave some of the testimony, but I need to leave it written down. And I want to write these books to them, for them, in their journey of faith that after I'm dead and gone, um, they'll have something they can look at and say, that's what my old grandpa believed. That, that's what he believed. Or maybe we'll have grandchildren that may wander far away from the Lord. That's possible. How many of you know we are, as Christians, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. How many of you know all we like sheep, somebody help me, have gone? It's in our nature. In the pull of the world, we have the force of the world, the flesh, and the devil pulling at us. If you shift into neutral, can I tell you what direction the currents of the world will pull you? They will not direct you toward God. Would you say amen to that? And it's all you're doing is innocently shit. I even know this thing called the Christian life is some work. Would you agree with that? There's, there's some challenges. And so all you got to do is say, I'm going to take a little break and shift that baby into neutral. I'll guarantee you the pull will take you away from God. And maybe if any of our grandchildren drift or are drawn away from God. Maybe one of them old books that Grandpa wrote a note to a man and gave it to him when they went through their consecration. They'll pick it up in one of those moments. Who knows? Can't remember the sermons. But this is what he believed. And God might use it for good. I don't know. I don't know all of the reasons that went into why I wanted to write these books, but I felt like I want to do this. The discipline will be good for me. In fact, on the back of the first book, I said, one of the reasons is I know the discipline of doing this will be good for me, and yet I do not like, because one of the things, one of the natural graces God has given me is that I am a laborer. I'm just a laborer. Everybody in this room have natural graces. Even without salvation, God equips people with certain graces or abilities to do things in life, to function in life. And then when they get saved, he gives them a gift which complement those natural graces and they become a strength to his gift. Uh, I'm a finisher. I hate to start things because I know when I start them, I will finish them. I never left the wood with a, woods with a half a truckload of wood. I went there to fill it up, and I filled it up. I just, that's my, that's part of the nature. Hi, by the way, how do you know that God said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers? That's all I have. I have no skills. I'm an ex-cop. I can't build anything. I don't know anything about electricity except I'm scared of it. I don't know anything about plumbing. I don't know. There's so many, I don't have them. I mean, who needs a fast driver? <laughs> you know, I like that, Okay. I'm too old to be a race car driver. So, I mean, what, what skills do you have? God really called me to be a preacher just to be a laborer in the fields, to just sow the seed time, just preach, okay, just those kind of things. And our grandchildren know that, and we have them with us at different times of the year, take them with us preaching, and they hear that, and hopefully you can win a relationship with them and let them know that we love them and try to get them to love us. And these books are a legacy of faith to them. So they're our gift to them that we give them.
So what I want to do in the morning sessions is talk about the essentials of our faith, the stuff we have to have to make it. 2007, I wrote my first book. Each book has a five-word title. Each one of them come from Scripture. The first one is, You Must Be Born Again. It's all about the gospel. Um, the power of the gospel is in the gospel. I say that a lot when I'm preaching, and I say that to our grandchildren a lot. The power of the gospel is in the gospel. The power of the gospel is not in the preacher. Would you agree with that? I mean, God will use a donkey to share what he wants to share. It's, it's, the power of the gospel is in the message of the gospel. There's only one gospel. There's not two. There's not, you can't go through and say, I like this gospel, I don't like that gospel. There's only one gospel. Paul said in his first letter of the church at Galatia, I marvel, Galatians chapter 1, verse 5, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, comma, which is not another. There are no other gospels. He said, if I are an angel from heaven come and declare unto you any other gospel than the one that you have received, let him be anathema. Do you know what that means? Cursed. Come under the curse of God. He said, as I said before, so say I now again. In other words, if you didn't get what I said the first time, I'm going to say it again. When you do that in the Greek, can I tell you something? That moves into a whole new, in the Greek mind and understanding of that language, it moves into, don't you dare ever say there's another gospel. There's only one gospel. And Christ is the fulfillment of God's message, the good message of God to man is Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, the gospel. So I said, I want to make sure that the gospel is the first book I write because it's more important to me than anything else because if your kids get the gospel, they'll be okay. I don't care what kind of a mess they may make of their lives. If they get and understand the gospel, Christ dwells in them and they will be miserable until they are submitted to his will because he's the one that's at work in their lives. Not, not grandpa, not grandma, not mom or dad, not the church. It's God himself at work in their life. We just want to stress the importance of the gospel. Religion is always what we do for God. That's what all the other religions are. I don't care if it's Islam, Hindu, Buddhist. It's always what I can do to God to win his favor and be accepted by God. Christianity is the only religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It is the only religion where God has done something for man. You cannot do something to win his favor. God has done something for you and for me that he sent his son to die. That is the gospel. I want to stress that and just uh, on and on. Um, I shared this illustration with you in uh, July 4th that week. We had a family camp. Uh, our next place we speak is a family camp. We do in the summer a lot of family camps, spring and fall men's retreats. I do a lot of men's retreats, which is becoming more and more my passion to speak to men. And it just seems like I don't know how to design my schedule. In fact, I don't. God just seems to do those kinds of things. Um, a Fourth of July family camp, there was a girl who came up to me, teenage girl, high school, senior high school, probably, probably a senior in high school. She was from Oklahoma. The camp that we spoke at draws people from, they were from Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, just Florida, all over the place they come to this camp because it's, uh, the people that come are exposed to that camping ministry by a national ministry they have. Okay, but they're into a lot of different churches and they'll show a promo film on the camp, blah, blah, blah. So th this girl came up to me after I had preached the gospel and she said, and I knew her dad. Her dad had bought a number of these books. Uh, 
these books are on the back table over there, and I guess maybe, Alan, we're going to move them to someplace else, but I didn't know where to put them. We'll put them over here, I guess. Um, this one here is uh, what it looks like. You must be born again. And they're dead. It's only 70 pages. I wanted to make every book under 100 pages or under. Some of them are a little over. Some of them are a little... This one's a little under. The rest of them... Uh, anyway. And she's going to go on a bus, a big coach from Oklahoma City. She's in 4-H. And uh, if you attained a certain level in the 4-H, you got to go and be a representative of your 4-H particular group and stuff. And you're going to go to Washington, D.C. for their big national conference. And on the way there, they give them a list of things that they're going to be doing. Places they're going to be going, things they're going to be seeing and stuff. And anything they might be able to help in doing. She saw on Sunday, as they were going from one place to another, they were going to have a brief time for a religious service. And she says, I felt like God said, I want you to do that. Well, what am I going to do? I mean, we're going to be on a bus. What am I going to do? Stand and sing a song and pray? What am I going to do? And she said, I always have one of these with me. And she said, as I was praying, it's like the Lord impressed upon me, just stand and read the first chapter, which is the gospel. It's, a, it's about imputed righteousness, not infused righteousness, imputed righteousness. God doing for me what I can't do for myself, making me righteous in his sight through the righteousness of Christ. <clears throat> so she said, okay, I'll do it. So it came, came time for the religious part of their service, which I'm amazed that there's even anything in any kind of organization in America anymore where they would be mindful of this. And she said, she told them what she was going to do, showed them the book, and she said, I read chapter one to them, which is the simplest, short, I mean, you're talking about a very short presentation of the gospel. And uh, then she prayed. And she's going back to her seat, and she said, a girl about three rows back stopped her, and she says, I've never heard anything like that in my life. Did you say that was the gospel? She said, yes. She says, I'll give the book back to me. Can I read that again? And she said, you can have this book. She says, I have another one. And gave it to her. You know what she just did? I, I wanted to hear her say, she repented, got on her knees, and asked God to save her. Said, Hi, you know, that's what you always loved to hear. But that's not what happened. But you know what she did? She sowed a seed of the gospel. Guess who waters the... It's somebody else will come along and water it, and pretty soon, God will give the increase. Would you agree with that? God will do that if we'll sow the gospel. That was just an encouragement to me uh, that she would do that. And her dad has a particular business, and just uh, when people, patients come in, has a sign on his outside in his forward waiting room, take one free. And he orders them by the case. I thought, glory to God. It's amazing the stories I have heard um, of people that have come to know the Lord. I had a guy tell me at a men's retreat because I try to tell him about the books that are available. By the way, I sell them at cost, and the sign says, uh, book costs $5 if you can help. If you can't, take a book and welcome. I never wrote a book with the intention of making money. So far, I'm doing pretty good at it, okay? <laughs> By the way, some of the things we should have a cost to for us. Would you agree with that? Just sometimes, David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And I think it's good to have a show a loss in the column. It just is, because you're investing in eternity. This guy said to me, he said, uh, I live in a subdivision, 
he said, you talked about the books, and he said uh, about the gospel, and I heard you preach the gospel, and he said, I love the Lord, that's the gospel, and he says, there's a neighbor that I've become uh, good friends with, developed a good relationship with, and he said, the only thing he knows about me is I don't swear, I don't drink, uh, and I go to church on Sunday. He said, that's about all he would, you know, get together in the neighborhoods, and he said he knows I don't drink, and you can, oh, never mind, I'm not going to get into that. I think you can have a drink, okay? That's not what's going to keep you out of heaven, if you understand. But this guy had just chosen. He didn't do that, and which is a rare thing today. Now, I believe an elder, from my position, I can't because of what scripture has to say. If you're a deacon, you can have a little. If you're an elder, you can't have any. I'm voting for deacon. Okay, I don't know what you're going to do with that. So, aren't you glad you came for this deep stuff? Oh, brother. So anyway, he said, he just knows I go to church, and he says, I'm burdened for his soul, but he said that my nature is I'm shy. He said, I'm just shy. He said, it's hard for me to talk about the things of the Lord. He said, but when you said that, just take a book and write a note in it to a person. I gave a book to a guy last week that I have known for years, whose wife is dying. By the way, how many of you know, in times like this, there's an ear toward heaven than there's not when everything's healthy. Now, would you agree with that? And I said, okay, God. Because I didn't want to go because the guy had been a cynic most of his life and I knew I was going to face some opposition. If you love God, you've got to love people. Would you agree with this? Got to go. I just got to go. So I went and I wrote him a note in the book and said, with much respect and admiration, and signed my name and gave it to him. He read it. He read it. I asked him, because I went back and saw him again. I said, what do you think? said, it's interesting. And then I said, tell me about your life. He said, I grew up a Methodist. So did his wife. But he said, I haven't been in church in 60 years. And I began to talk to him about his soul. By the way, I'm praying for him, for God to make him miserable till he receives Christ. It is a kindness of God to trouble you. Did you know that? When you're lost, you need to be troubled over it. The problem is, a lot of people are lost and they don't care because they don't know what's really at stake. Now, anyway, this guy's telling me about this. So he's, he said, I wrote this guy a note and said, he said, uh, I appreciate my friendship with you. And he says, but I have failed you in that I have never shared what is most important to me in all my life, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I give you this book. If you read it and have any questions, I'd like to talk with you. And he signed his name, gave it to him. The guy called him back in a week, said, I read that book, and he said, I got some questions. I'll really shorten the story. He ended up leading his neighbor to Christ because this was the thing that opened the door. Sometimes you may not be able to talk to a person about Christ. I mean, I'm preaching all the time. I'm, I'm an A-game as far as just constantly looking for somebody to talk to about Jesus, okay? People want to talk about what's important to them. I want to talk about what's important to me. And I just tell them, this is what's important to me. And I share Jesus with them. You say, well, that may not be you. Man, I'm, I'm just not on that. that. God doesn't have me in that arena. But I have people I'm concerned for, I'm burdened for. Parent, child, brother, sister, mom, dad. And just write a little note in, the goth, in this book and give it to them and say, praying for you, just praying for you. The gospel. Um, oh, I'm going to leave that now. Now, I want to talk to you about book number two. This is done at 10. What? Okay. I'm trying to cover two books this morning because I've got seven. I've only got five sessions. I've got to do another one with two about the essentials and the basics. The one right here that I'm going to talk about next 
is really on my heart. And by the way, if they have a rubber band around them and this little sticker on them, that means it's the full pack of them. And it's all seven of them in the order I wrote them. And uh, essential number two. is prayer. This book on prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. When I was writing these books, that the year that I would be writing them, I would be preaching, studying sermons on prayer. Lord, teach us to pray means, not teach us how to pray, just teach us to do it. The guy that said that, one of the disciples of Jesus, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, was an Orthodox Jew and probably had his own personal prayer book which would have been some rabbinical prayers written by the rabbis as well as a number of the psalms, which are the prayer book, not the song book, the prayer book, and the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are now ended, Psalm 72, verse, I don't know, the last two verses of that chapter. They're prayers. They sang a lot of their prayers, but nonetheless, they were a prayer book. And he, these are people that know to pray, they just don't do it. Most of my life, I have lived prayerless. I'm just so independent. In other words, I try everything else, and if everything else fails, then pray. How do you know that is not the proper order? The proper order is I exhort, therefore, that, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and authority, for all those who... Pray first. Pray during. Pray after. You can't OD on prayer. and Pray without ceasing. Do you know what I mean by that? Just pray about everything. And this disciple said to Jesus, who did not need to pray, was constantly praying. He spent a whole night in prayer before he chose those disciples. I'm thinking, dear God, why are you doing this? Because he's the example on whose steps we should follow. Would you agree with that now? Jesus didn't need to do any of the things he had to do. He did them for our sake and said, how many of you know the Bible would be far less threatening if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not in it? Because that's the life of Jesus. You want to know what this thing is supposed to look like? Lay your life down upon the template of Scripture and cut off the excess. That's what we're supposed to look like. We are supposed, you want to know God's will for our life? That we would be conformed to the image of his son. Whew. And Jesus was constantly praying. So Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer is where God and human beings meet. Now, if you do try to take notes on me, which I know is difficult, because I'm ricocheting off of one disjointed thought to the next, but if you try to take notes, I tell people don't even try, just you know, write down a reference or something every once in a while. But this is a quote that I've fallen in love with. Prayer is where God and human beings meet. Prayer is where God and human beings meet. I don't believe a person gets saved without prayer. Because it's where you and God, you come to God in prayer. Believing, what is prayer? Prayer is coming to God and believing he's there. To a God I cannot see and believe that he does care, he is here, he does see. And talking to God. Private prayer is the greatest expression of your Christian faith. Private prayer. If you want to know who you are, get alone with God and pray. And that's who you are and nothing more. Because there's nobody there to impress. Jesus prayed publicly. Can I tell you something? Before he broke the loaves and, and the fishes and stuff, can I tell you something? He raised his hands toward heaven and prayed to God to bless the food. And we ought to pray. By the way, we ought to pray before we eat meals. Would you agree with that? How many of you do? It's your custom. You pray before you eat. You should. It's just a good habit. How many of you do it even in a restaurant? How many of you love to see another person praying in a restaurant? You, you say, hey, there's one of the brothers, okay? I, I just, uh, there's something good about that, that we should do that. You should pray publicly, but you should pray privately. 
because there's nobody there to hear your prayer, see your prayer. It's just you and God. If you want to know who you are, get along with God and start talking to him. That's who you are, nothing more. That's who you are. Joyce and I, in our journey of faith, okay, now I grew up in the church. A silver spoon was there. I sat under the teaching of the gospel. I had people concerned about my life from Sunday school teachers, you know, junior church. I sat under pastors who preached the word. Um, Joyce never went to church. So the first five and a half, six years of our life, Joyce is growing in grace, and she's starting to pray. She's, by the way, having me for a husband was all the incentive she needed to pray. <laughs> I mean, she really did. My wife could have went like this to me, legitimately. But she began to pray for me. And uh, she, she said, I knew I couldn't handle you, so I sick God on you, you know, so... <laughs> And how many women know you can't change your husband and he can't change you, but God can change you both and the same end of that. You, you got to bring God in the mix. And so Joyce began to pray for me and uh, God dealt with me September 8th, 1978. And the journey really began to launch from there. Just, and uh, I started going to church. That was a big deal. I mean, regularly. I couldn't wait. I actually couldn't wait to go to church. That's hard to imagine. And uh, then I started memorizing scripture. No, excuse me. I started reading my Bible. That was that year's goal. Every year I choose a different goal. And I, I actually started reading the Bible. I'd never read anything much in my life. I learned how to read my second semester of college when I took a speed reading course. Things organized in my mind so I could, once, I could read. By the way, God was at work in my life before I even knew God was at work in my life. How many of you would be running to, you know what I just said? God's at work in your life before you realize he's at work in your life because he knew I needed to learn how to read. So I started to read, but I didn't like reading, and man. How many of you have ever read Leviticus? There's blood all over the place. Would you agree? Good. Night. What does this mean? You know, it's just hard reading for you. But nonetheless, I said I'm going to do her. So I'm, I'm just reading so many verses a day and just cranking around, checking her off, and leaving my marker there. And I couldn't tell you two minutes later what I just read. But I was learning the basics. How many of you know as a Christian, now my idea of a good time is sitting down and reading large portions of Scripture. How many of you know God changes us? He takes us along in our journey. So um, then I started memorizing scripture, and then at about 1981, I heard a sermon on prayer, and I thought, oh yeah, we're supposed to pray too. So I'd been growing by reading and, and memorizing scripture and going to church, but I still wasn't praying. And I would, I, mean, I would consider myself a Christian growing in grace and those kind of things, but I did not pray. It's like... I'd heard that my whole life. I don't even know hearing it and doing it are two different things. Now, would you agree with that? I've heard a lot of things that would really change my life. And so I said, oh, I'm going to start praying. Man, I was so fired up after that sermon. I said, I'm praying 30 minutes a day every day for the rest of my life. Good goal. How many of you think I kind of failed at that one? Okay. I couldn't pray five minutes. I couldn't think of nothing to pray for. I, mean, I just couldn't. I just tried to pray. I built a prayer room. Memorized scriptures on prayer, read Ian e. Bounds books on prayer, Andrew Murray, I started doing all these other kind of things, but I still wasn't praying. I, didn't, I just couldn't, just coming into God, and, what an expression of faith prayer is, private prayer especially. Well then Joyce and I, we, now Ben's moving into his teens, that's our firstborn, and he's starting to move into his teens. How many of you know, if there's anything to give you the incentive to prayer, it's teenagers, say amen to that, <laughs> that that'll get you to pray 
because you, you know, you can't choke them. I mean, you can't do, you can't do some of the things you like to do with them sometimes. What are you going to do? Well, you better go to God because you can't do nothing. You, you get to the point, you just got to have God's guidance, power, and work. And so I went to Joyce one day. I said, honey, what do you pray for our kids? She said, well, I pray this, this, and this. I said, ooh. I said, I pray that one, but I don't pray those two. She said, what do you pray? I said, I pray this and this. I have two things. And I was praying these two things. She said, I'm going to take those two and add them to mine. I said, I'm going to take those two of yours and add them to mine. And over the course of the next uh, five, six months, we had about a dozen things now that we were praying. And because I knew what to pray, I was going to do it every day. I'm one of these people going to do it every day. Okay, you got to exercise, you got to exercise. You know, so... By the way, the Bible says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, building up yourselves, that's exercising yourself unto godliness. There are certain disciplines, basics, that if you do them, they begin to build strength in you, not physically. How many of you are glad you don't have to be some Mr. Atlas to go to heaven, you know what I mean? But spiritually, you become strong. If you're a quadriplegic, you become strong in the Lord and the power of his might by these spiritual exercises. I'm not talking about so you will become a Christian, but because you are one of Christ, Christ ones, these are the things that characterize followers of Christ. And prayer is one of them. It's a big one of them. And so we finally had 12, and finally over about a year, we had 16 things to pray for your children. Those things are listed in here that we've prayed for our children. We look at them now and see God's hand of answering every one of them for our kids. Our kids turned out way better than the parents that raised them. I'm going to tell you that. Um, God's hands on, we see things that we're just so blessed. And we prayed, I mean, earnestly, faithfully in prayer. Now, um, I've seen what I'm going to omit here. By the way, there are seven sermons. What do I say this morning about this book on prayer? Lord, teach us to pray. We pray with our grandchildren at night. We have two of them staying with us now. Uh, Silas and Ezra. Ezra's five and Silas eight. Something like that. They're Brian's two younger boys because we're here with them this week. It just works out. Well, we have so many of them now that we, it's hard to find a place to take them during the summer because they go with us for one week of summer. That's a big deal for them. And we prayed with them at night. Prayed with them this morning. This morning at 5 a.m., I woke up as is my custom and I prayed for about an hour and a half, a little over. It's my custom. I have certain things I know to pray. I want to bring this before here I am again, Lord. Know my voice? Yeah, here you are, Tom. By the way, God is never unhappy when you and I come to him in prayer. It's like a father saying, what can I do for you today? Because every day I'm going to need God, every day. And so I pray, so that's become my custom. Now, um, I'm going to leave the 16 things and some of the things. Let me tell you where I am. Joyce and I are just now moving into. We are what we call struggling intercessors. <clears throat> I'm getting old, simple as that. And if God continues to give you life, you will get old. And you may still have it up here, and you may not, but it doesn't always translate to the rest of you. You don't have the strength and the stamina to do what you used to do. You might be able to do the same thing, you just can't do it as long as hard. This, the novelty of driving and traveling to all that, I've preached from Boston to LA, from, I mean, I've preached all over the United States, a number of different countries we've traveled. Travel is exhausting. I love to be home. There is no bed in the world like your own bed. How many of you got the emphasis on that, okay? I mean, we've... And as we are growing older, this thought has been coming to my mind, came to me in one of the sermons as I was preaching. I would rather step aside than be set aside. 
there are a number of men in ministry. I've been in ministry now. I've got a lot of acquaintances, people and directors of ministries from pastors. And I'm hearing a phrase again and again. I should have retired or I should have stepped aside five years ago or ten years ago. Why am I hearing this? I'm saying, okay, God, what, what do you do with your life when you get, everybody my age is retired, okay? What do you do? Because we told God two years ago, because I got the seven books, I do things in sevens, I just have Faithful Men of Michigan, Summit on Preaching, write the books. The next seven years of my life, we just, Joyce and I went before the Lord and sat before the Lord and said, God, what do you want us to do? And he said, I want you to preach for another seven years. Just preach, and I want you writing no books, and I want you doing all them things you've been doing. Just work on preaching. I'll be 72 when that happens. Okay? If I'm still alive, what do I do? He said, oh, I've got a ministry for you and Joyce. I said, what is it? And I was reading an article by Billy Graham who said, I am experiencing the greatest ministry of my entire life. It's intercessory prayer. It's prayer. Joyce and I, when this happened, my foot, because I couldn't get up and do the things, I had to cancel 12 weeks of meetings. I couldn't believe it. I hate camp. If I say I'm going to be to some place, I'm going to come. Whether I like it, whether I want it, I'm going to do it. If I say I'm going to do it. I had to cancel. And we started praying together out loud. And because I couldn't get up and walk around, our two chairs that we have, these recliners right next to each other, they're hooked together. We would sit in them and pray. And we saw that something was developing. God is doing something in our life. See, the ministry, how can you say this? Um, prayer is where the battles are won. Ministry is gathering up the results. Did you follow that? Prayerless ministry is what we're guilty of in America. We need prayer behind. We need the, the power of God and the spirit of God. And we are struggling intercessors moving in that direction where when we pray, we want to know there is a power of God because we have prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Now, this is developing. This is still in the maiden stages about prayer. Turn in your Bibles. How many of you have your Bibles? Turn to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to try to... <clears throat> give you a glimpse of some of where we're at. Luke chapter 1. In, now you're in Luke chapter 1. I will just quote for you Revelations 5, 8. Luke chapter 1. Revelations chapter 5, 8 and 8, 5 both say this, that the prayers of the, the golden bowls full of incense are the prayers of the saints. How many of you ever heard that verse before? The golden bowls full of incense are the prayers of the saints. Let me get to Luke chapter 1. There's a man by the name of Zacharias. Any of you familiar with him? Father, mother was Elizabeth, and father was Zacharias, a priest of who? John the baptizer. Old John. And they're both old, and he's supposed to be having kids, and God appears to him. During his time of oblation, and, and let me tell you what the altar of incense is. I'll try to give you a picture of this. The altar of incense was in the holy place, not the holy of holies. There's in the temple, the curtain that would separate the one that when Jesus died was written in half. That would be the, where the Ark of the Covenant is and where the high priest would enter and take a day of atonement or the Passover and sprinkle the blood on the altar, okay, on the, 
Um, all right, thank you. I, I'm, trying, I'm getting too fast. That's another thing. How many of you are getting to the place where you take off saying something and you can't remember where you were going? Are any of you there yet? <laughs> I hate that. I used to be able to have three stories going at once and I can't even keep one going anymore now. That's okay, you laugh, it'll happen to you. You just hang around, okay? So, the altar of incense was about like this. This is the size of it. And it has, it's bronze, like this. And next to it would be a little stand with a golden bowl on it. And the golden bowl was full of incense. This incense, if you read in Leviticus, and in Numbers, it tells about the ingredients that went into it. The ingredients that went into it were gums from different trees. Like if you take sap from a pine tree, you cut a limb off and it'll dribble down and stuff, and finally it dries in colors and stuff. That is the, the sap or the gum. It would be a fort, and only one of the plants was found in Israel. So in the Levitical priest, the ones who were responsible, there were certain ones that you just had to travel around the world. It was very costly, very expensive, and they would come back and they had to mix it in a certain way, and these little flakes of gum, dried gum, was in this, and uh, the golden bowl. And the priest who would come in, because according to the law of Moses that he gave Moses, this is something really back for the Jewish people. The priest would come in in the morning and evening oblation. Now David said at evening and the morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud unto this. So he prayed three times a day, but the priest only had to do this twice a day. It would be for one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. Now on the other side of the barrier over here from the holy place where was the courtyard where in the temple, days of the temple, 1,500 Jews could assemble there and would assemble there for Passover. And that's where they, they would kosher their lambs and do those kinds of things. That's where the people would be. But they would be able to see over this wall and the priest would come in if it was his time to serve. And Zechariah was one of these priests who would serve at the altar of incense. He would come in and he would reach into the bowl. First of all, he had to, here's this, the great, the little altar, like this, bronze leaves out sticking out this way. He would go over to the altar of sacrifice with a pair of bronze tongs. And he would go over to the, where the blood sacrifices were being offered by another set of priests on a daily basis. And he would take up a live coal, he had to have a live coal, and the live coal had to have had blood on it at one time, sprinkled on it. So underneath the sacrifice where they burn the sacrifice. And he would take that live coal, and he would go over to the altar of incense and put it on there. He would reach into the golden bowl full of incense and just pick up whatever was available, whatever it was there, because the priests that were responsible for mixing this and keeping this to a certain level, they would mix it all up so there'd be different flakes, it would, it would be the right combination. He would take this and he would sprinkle it on the altar of incense and it would not burst into flame. It would begin to smoke like an incense would and it would curl up and when the people on the, in the courtyard would see that the priest was now praying because once he put that on there and the smoke began to ascend, he began to pray to God for Israel. His, his responsibility was to intercede for the nation of Israel, for the king and for the, all the priests and the, all these kinds of things. It was his responsibility to pray and if he knew of specific things and we know this, one of the things he prayed for was that he would be able to have a child. It, it, it says, that we're gonna read that in just a minute. He prayed, God, would you give us children? Would you give us a child? And his wife was old, Elizabeth was older and barren, and pretty soon it was a hard prayer to pray for him. Maybe he had stopped praying it, but he had prayed it a number of times. And one of the days, one of those pieces of incense, the golden bowls full of incense of the prayers of the saints, it made it up. You remember the name by the name of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10? 
where the angel said to him, thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. It's making direct reference to this kind of stuff. How many of you have prayed a prayer for a long time and never seen any results? Can I tell you something? When you pray, you're putting, a, you're putting an incense in here. It's in the bowl. How many of you know that God is a God hearing and God answering prayer? But he didn't always jump to our strings. Would you agree with that? My time, my place, my, my way, he'll answer. Yeah, I guarantee you God's going to answer the prayer. Sometimes his answer will be no. That's an answer. But nonetheless, the, he put it on there and it went up. Let's pick up the narrative. I've done a poor job racing through that, but with that mental picture, let's read Luke chapter 1 and about verse 8. We'll pick up at verse 8. You could at 5, but just for uh, expeditious right now, let's just do this. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, this was the month, the week he did this, According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the time of incense. See, their hope was they knew this guy is God's man to intercede right now, and his prayers are going up, and I want my prayers to get in on them. Are you getting this? How do you know corporate prayer is a powerful thing? And, and you can, the more you can pray with somebody you know has contact with deity, the better off you are. How are you doing? Not somebody that's just shooting from the hip, but somebody who spends regular time. This is my job. This is my life. This is my ministry to God is to intercede for Israel. I want my prayers getting in on them. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the time of incense. And then it goes on there appearing the angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense so here's the altar he's standing there incense is going up and he's praying and here's an angel shows up and when Zacharias saw him he was troubled that's an understatement (laughs) and fear fell upon him but the angel said unto him fear not Zacharias for thy prayer is heard I wonder how long he had prayed that prayer I wonder how enduring he had been I wonder if he'd have had time, son. Even God can't give his children now. How many of you know when Sarah was past her age, it says her womb was dead, no longer cycles to conceive, and God showed up and did it. Would you, uh, would you agree with this? This is cool to me. God hears me. How many of you know God, for us, things that look impossible for God are a small thing, a small thing. Well, you can read the rest of that and know what he said. Um, Joyce and I feel like our future ministry may be intercession. My wife prays. My wife has learned to pray. How to pray? We're still learning how. She just learned to do it. We're going to pray. Let's pray about it. We're going to do it. It's become a part. We've got to the place where let's just pray. Joyce and I hold hands and pray. We have prayer chairs. We have prayer walks now that we do. We ride bicycles. We pray when we ride. We pray in the car. We've moved this to another level, wondering what it is, God, you've got for us. What do you have us? You see, when you just pray for people, it ain't you. It's the God to whom you pray. Did you get that? It's not you. It's the God, and you're making contact with deity, and that's exactly what prayer is. Prayer is what moves the finger that runs the universe. 
It changes nations. Prayer. We think we may be heading toward the greatest ministry of our lives. And it won't be pulpiteering. Because I'm a pulpiteer. I, I stand and pray. I'm a horrible counselor. Oh my goodness. I t- all I do is tick people off when I counsel them. I say things like, grow up. Oh, thank you. Boy, that really helped me. You know. I don't know how to counsel. I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to... God has called me, equipped me to pre proclaimer. Thus, just blam, just preach the word. Now there's a change coming. How many of you have lived long enough to know that the older you get, the harder change is? The harder it is to change. And God in his mercy through prayer is changing us. And God is raising up other preachers. And he's stepping us aside from that, I believe, to move into the unseen, unheralded prayer closet where we can intercede for people, pray for ministries. We're struggling. How do you do this? Where's our examples? We're making lists now and clinically going through. We have a list of widows we prayed for. Buried two pastors this year, since January. One of them just a little while ago. Dear brother, man, 57. Yeah, I look at that and say, that's young. (laughs) Praying for widows. How many of you know the Bible says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is caring for widows. Caring for widows and orphans. Could it be, God, that the place you've had us is where you've had us, but you're going to move us into, according to your sovereign good grace, into a ministry we never thought was possible? Part of our goal in life is to finish well. I want to finish well. I don't want to shift into neutral because the danger is there. The world will suck us in. The religious world will suck us in. What do you have for us? Well, prayer's a big deal. I don't know where you're at in your journey. But I think I'm speaking to the choir this morning. You people, you respond too well. I know you know and love the Lord. Who would come to a Bible study on a Monday morning if you didn't know and love the Lord, okay? Move into prayer no matter where you're at, no matter your age. Move in the direction of prayer. Pray about everything. Joyce and I are doing it and falling in love with it. It's amazing how we are seeing God already take care of things, give us insights and know what to say and know what not to say to people within our sphere that we love and care for. It's, it, it's just we're encouraged and excited and yet fearful. What all is it going to look like? And close with these two verses. Philippians 1, 6. Six says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Proverbs 1, 6 says this, in all thy ways acknowledge him. How many of you are familiar with that verse? That he will direct your paths. He's going to do it. He's doing it. God is faithful to hear and answer prayer. So why don't we pray, okay? Heavenly Father, though I'm standing and these dear people are sitting May we somehow see ourselves as kneeling before the throne of grace. Can we come in undeserving, dear God? 
The only worth we have is in Christ who has redeemed us and accepted us, made us complete in him. <laughs> we have been justified, forgiven, redeemed, cleansed, and healed. Lord, we just come before you as your children and asking you to teach us to pray. God, renew our passion for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. May we know what it is, preach it to ourselves, affirm it on a regular basis, what it is and what it is not. We would ask you to God a, a, a simple prayer that I know, Joyce, and I know you are hearing and answering for our lives. It's teach us your ways, O Lord, and show us your paths and help us to walk in them. I don't want to just know what I'm supposed to do. God, I want your divine enabling power of grace to help me. I never want to become independent of you, O God. I repent of that. So much of my life has been independent of you, trying to seek your favor on something I'm doing. God, I pray that I would find out what you would have us to do and then walk in it. Just walk in it. Send us away this morning a little different than what we were when we came. Just a little, dear God. You, you're so good not to take all the enemy out, all the issues out, all at once. But you teach us how to walk in your ways. Dismiss us with your grace, I pray in Jesus' name.